0: Healing from emotional abuse isn't a Band-Aid situation, but it doesn't have to take years either. The lives of millions of other survivors around the world have been impacted by their narcissist. Yours doesn't have to. To show you how to live a free, confident, and peaceful life, your host and founder of the Healing from Emotional Abuse philosophy, Marissa F. Cohen.
1: Hey guys, welcome back to Breaking Through Our Silence, the podcast. April is Sexual Assault Awareness Month and for the month I wanted to speak with champions, people who have overcome their abuse and are now working to change the world for survivors to help them become the champions of their stories. I want to celebrate taking our lives back and hopefully encourage others to do the same. With us today is my dear, dear friend, Nana Ponce Leon. She was born in Venezuela and before she had the courage to do what she really wanted, She got a bachelor's degree in business administration with a minor in computer science from Pace University in New York. She worked in sales and marketing in several companies, including Microsoft, for over 11 years. Today, she's a full-time actress in New York. She has worked in over 27 films, short films, features, and TV shows, and many commercials and plays since graduating from Stella Adler. She is passionate about the human spirit and has created a project which the vision is to create a world where women and men collaborate, cooperate, and co-create their shared world together called Act Feminine. Act Feminine today is more focused on helping women, but it will evolve in the future to be all-inclusive. Thank you so much for being here, Nana. I'm so excited to talk to you. Oh, I'm.
2: I no, not as much as me. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for inviting me and thinking of me
1: anytime so nana and i met at a tony robbins retreat and we instantly clicked and fell in love and i adore her um i watch her mm. act feminine videos on youtube all the time every time they're on every time she puts out a new one i'm probably like the fifth person to watch it
2: <laughs> sweet <laughs> you're so sweet thank you
1: of course and thank you for being here today and sharing your story you were telling me before we started recording that this is the first time that you're publicly sharing your story right
2: this is absolutely correct. It's like a coming out of the closet for me.
1: <laughs> How do you feel right now?
2: Nervous, <laughs> <laughs> excited, but nervous.
1: <sighs> Understandable, just know that you are sharing with, um, with a supportive community and we're here to empower you. And I'm, I'm really, really honored that you chose me and Breaking Through Our Silence to be your coming out party. Well, I guess the title is perfect for me today. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad you're here. So let's get started. Um, Would you mind telling us a little bit about your story or as much of your story as you're comfortable sharing?
2: Okay, so um, I, as you said, I'm from Venezuela, but uh, I moved to Baton Rouge because that's where my dad went to school at LSU and I have um, dear aunt, you know, my mom's family, there who moved when I was very little. And uh, I decided to go to LSU as well. I met this man. We got married at 19 years old. I was a baby and he's from Venezuela too. So um, I moved to New Orleans because my boyfriend, new husband at the time was working there and uh, four months into the marriage, we got married December and in April, I walked into my apartment, coming back from school, and this man was inside the apartment. Initially, he said that, uh, you know, where's the money? It looked like a robbery, but um, eventually, you know, it, it, turned on, it turned into a rape. And my life just got, I don't, I don't even know what the word is, but I guess transformed, changed in an instant. Uh, it became a before and after and um i'm not married to my husband at the time anymore which to me it's it's sort of understandable because you know four months into a marriage you get raped inside your house uh it, it just my whole life became a full big mess um i didn't tell anybody at the time uh, i didn't tell my mom my father was the only one who found out actually because strangely enough which might not be strange for those people who believe in these things but he called when the police were were at my apartment and it was just total total chaos in the apartment they were taking prints and you know the police flooded the place um afterwards to to investigate and and he called right at that moment so it was inevitable for him to find out but i didn't share it with anybody and I, I can't tell you that I was ashamed. It was, I, I think I was numb more than anything. And probably that's what made me not want to share it. Cause I, I literally didn't know what was going on. It was like this weird feeling of being here, but not being here. I don't, I don't know if I'm making sense.
1: <laughs> no, that makes total sense. It's like, it's um, dissociation.
2: Yes. that I think that's the perfect word. Yes, you're totally correct. Which I can do very well, you know? And I think that was my survival mechanism.
1: That makes sense. And it's super common. A lot of people dissociate, especially during intimate moments or mm-hmm. moments of chaos and confusion. They just like leave their body.
2: Yes. That, oh my God, it's so funny that you say, well, not funny, amazing that you say that because after the rape, he was still in the apartment. And well I was totally you know I was tied up and he, he knew what he was doing and I remember thinking in an instant that and and with the most peaceful feeling which was the weirdest thing I remember saying to God God like um, God, an emotional
1: um, <laughs> that's okay
2: yeah you can take me now but it was so peaceful though, Marisa. It was so strange because it really was, like I was feeling an out-of-body experience. Like I literally went into this place of total peace which is so weird. And it wasn't a black uh, white tunnel. <laughs> it wasn't that kind of thing. You know, no white tunnel or anything. It, actually, <laughs> it was very black. To you know, everything I saw or I felt was was in my mind. And someone who I love dearly, also from the Tony Robbins community, she's an amazing, amazing woman, Jesse Charles. She said to me, "That is exactly what you're describing. That you felt this is exactly what we strive for through meditation and through through wanting to go into this oneness sensation." Because I literally felt like my body was not there. And I was in this black space where everything was like suspended and I felt nothing, but the nothing wasn't like, it was peace. And, and that's why I I kept saying, God, you know, you can take me now. You can take me now, but you know, it's, it's okay. It's done.
1: That's so scary. You know, so you were totally at peace with, with that, but. With leaving,
2: with going, with
1: dying. Yeah, and I'm, I'm sure that's a relatable feeling for a lot of people, especially in something that's as intense or violent. Do
2: yes, you- and, and I, I think also because also I didn't know what was gonna happen, because he was still in the room and I didn't know if he would kill me, if he would rape me again, if I, I had no idea because I couldn't see. So it was this feeling of, I don't want to go through this again. I'd rather die.
1: Thank you so much for sharing that. It's such a a tender, sensitive moment. And thank you for being so vulnerable with us. I just think it's so important that people know that, you know, after such a traumatic situation that there's a myriad of ways people feel. It's not like everyone immediately goes to telling people or anger. It's, there's a whole, you're human, you know? So everything you experience is so personal. And thank you for being so candid with us. That's, you know, really, really helpful.
2: Well, no, no, my my pleasure. You know, if, if I'm going to come out, I'm going to come out.
1: <laughs> um, you go, girl. <laughs> yeah.
2: And and to me, now that you say anger, you know that anger was and has been um, an emotion not readily available to me through this process. It, it came and went. And that is very strange because when i used to think of rape i would think okay the emotion is anger you know the natural one and that the one that you would live in all at all times and it wasn't for me but i think it was my ability to dissociate i i was very good at that ever since i was a girl actually and this has nothing to do with the rape whenever something emotional and stressful came into my life i was able to sort of detach and literally go into this place of feeling nothing. And I think it came handy in this situation, you know, because, and I talked to an expert from Columbia University here because I worked in a project. I'm, I was blessed to work in a project on, on grief therapy. Uh, though it's not for uh, rape victims, it's for parents who have lost children. I asked her and I said, listen, there are parts and there are things I don't remember. And I literally, don't remember like no matter how I try I don't remember and she uses in grief therapy taking the parents through the whole process remembering every single detail and I said okay so maybe I'm not going to totally heal if I don't go through that process and she said and I'm sharing this because this might help some people you know I don't know she said no because it's different a parent loves their children they they adore them And when they lose the children and forget parts of what happened and the life, they feel twice as guilty because they feel like they're betraying their children by not remembering. So the remembering process is a healing process. In your case, you really don't wanna do the work of remembering. And if you truly don't remember and you're okay with it and it doesn't bother you, then let it be. That to me was like, oh, what a relief.
1: Thank you so much for saying that. That's so important. A lot of people I've found doubt themselves and doubt that it really happened and question whether or not they're, you know, they're really a victim because they, they don't remember some or any of what happened to them. You know, you just, Mm -hmm. but it's, it's a, it's a trauma response, fight, flight, freeze, and then tonic immobility. Some people freeze and then they freeze it out and they dissociate and some people will fight back, but not a lot of people will fight back you know and that's not that doesn't mean that you're not a victim it doesn't mean that it didn't happen it just means that your brain is protecting you by shielding out those memories
2: totally totally and that's exactly what happened to me and and when i talked to Catherine, she said perfectly normal and um you shouldn't make an effort to try to remember you know i was taking to hypnosis session a couple trying to, because I, I saw him very briefly. I walked into the room, he had closed the shade so the room was dark and he just jumped on me. So I saw him actually just a second and he had dark raven glasses covering his eyes, which is very smart because eyes are very distinct. And um, they took me to hypnosis sessions to try to remember and f- sort of freeze his image so I could do the portrait again, that they could draw the portrait again based on on what I was seeing during hypnosis. There was no way they could take me past the door, even under hypnosis. Every time they would bring me in the room, I said, you know, I'm walking down my hallway and I get to the door of my room and there I stopped and they go like, okay, so what else, what's next? I just, I never was able to make that next step and walk into the room. So it was impossible, we, we couldn't do it. Not even under hypnosis. So that's how much you shield yourself.
1: Yeah, your brain knows what's best for you. And if if it doesn't want you to remember, if it blocked it out, mm-hmm. you know, maybe there's a reason for it.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Though, and this is something I'm gonna share, and I'm gonna jump to the movie that we talked about. Because um, I decided, for those who are listening to this and don't know, obviously, I just decided to make a movie. <laughs> after many, many years. And the reason I made, I I decided to make the movie, and um, this is also first, I was on a set of a show called The Perfect Murder. And um, I'm in the scene and I am the killer. So these two cops are supposed to arrest me. And you know, we're on one of the breaks and we're talking and they say that they were real NYPD detectives. And I'm like, oh my God, you know, you're acting and you're doing this. And, and, you know, they say, yes, because sometimes they use us also as advisors because these are recreations of true stories. So they need, you know, the police to verify that what they're showing is the way things are done. So we started talking about police and all of a sudden we talk about police corruption. Lo and behold, the police that investigated my case came up as one of the most corrupt in the country. And all of a sudden I went like, oh my God, Because, and I'm not gonna share the whole details, but weeks after the rape, I'm driving to school and I see him without, like I said, giving too much details. The police told me that it couldn't have been him. He wasn't there at that time. Because, and I'm like, okay, why, how do you know? Well, he's an undercover cop. So it couldn't have been him. I am 100% sure that it was him. Same hair, same ribbons, glasses, you're around my neighborhood. And when these guys are telling me this, I went like, oh my God, this is what happened. And at the time I had no representation. Uh, It was just my husband and me, two young people who were from Venezuela, and why would we doubt what the police are telling me? And I just let it be and moved to New York to live a better life because I literally couldn't live there. It was, it was too tough. And for me, different than sometimes for other people, of course, you know, I just couldn't walk into my apartment. The fear was being inside the house instead of outside on the streets. That is not a good feeling.
1: <laughs> no, I can't even imagine. It's supposed to be your safe haven and it's where you're feeling the most vulnerable
2: oh it was terrible i had to buy a dog i bought a german shepherd at the time and (laughs) until i yeah until i heard max barking i wouldn't go in um i had to check everything in the apartment under the bed in the closets and before i could sort of relax it's such
1: a system you know that that it's so uncomfortable and feeling that fear in your home i couldn't imagine
2: yeah, it was it was then that's why, you know, it it's like your life just goes inside out in, in an instant. It's like relationships change, your uh, relationship with the environment changes, everything.
1: So let's talk a little bit about the movie you're putting out. You're putting out a short film, you wrote it, you're acting in it, and you're co-producing it, and mm-hmm. it's about your story. Right.
2: So this short film is just going to be I'm calling it, you know, people call it a teaser because the, the movie that I want to make is the long, the feature film. This one is just to start creating awareness on this and what happens to a person where they become obsessed is, and it's, it's a little bit about justice, but it's also about healing. It's, it's about her obsession of reopening the case that drives her a bit crazier. And how that doesn't necessarily heal you, though, of course, justice is justice and, and it has to be, happen. It's not the healing. What I found is that it's, it's not what it heals you. You know, I can put him in prison and still suffer every day. So, it, for me, it was like a, a reveal. So, this short film is more focused on that because I initially got very upset and very angry and I wanted to reopen the case and I'm not gonna explain all the details of what that entitles and and whether I'm doing it or not because it's very easy today. They have my DNA and I have a suspect identified. So it would be, it's very, very easy. You know, you do those tests, period, done. So anyway, I got very angry and um, and then it just dawned on me that whether he's in jail or not, my process is my process and the healing comes from another place from within.
1: One hundred percent. One hundred percent. People who have not gone through this will often say, well, you know, if you put him in jail or if you make a report, it'll make you feel better because you'll know they're behind bars and they can't hurt other people. And while that's a hundred percent true, it's yes. not going to heal anyone because no. mm-hmm. the, the, the crime scene is our bodies. You know, we're not, it's not like, and, and for you, it was in your house. So not only are you living in a skin body that makes you feel uneasy and uncomfortable and vulnerable, but you're taking that body and putting it in a home that also makes you feel uneasy, uncomfortable, and vulnerable. So wherever this person resides, whether it be jail, six feet under, or next door, you will have the same problem and the same process to heal because that person did what they did and it is still affecting you day to day.
2: Correct, absolutely correct. Because even if he would have gone to prison the next day, I would have had to go through the same process of healing. And that is so important for, I think, for, for victims of, of any crime, actually, that healing is from within. And, and if we focus too much on the outside of getting the, the, of searching for the healing outside by putting them in jail, by revenge, by hate, by all of that, it only makes it worse.
1: Absolutely. That anger just fuels, it fuels the negativity and it's toxic. Mm-hmm
2: yes and like you say of course they deserve justice of course they they deserve to be behind bars yes i mean no question about it but don't put your expectations that once that happens you're healed right that's the only thing
1: so what did you do to help you heal you got a dog you moved but was there anything (sighs) else that you did
2: oh i've done throughout the years many things um i initially went to a rape crisis group which helped a little bit. And eventually I said, you know, I can't do this anymore. Uh, to me, it was too much. I sort of felt that I was revisiting that every day. And it, it, to me, it didn't work as well. I mean, there were ladies there who, who had been going for quite a while. Um, it did help a lot, and this I have to say, in um, releasing. The initial release of just explaining, saying, sharing with other women that were supportive, that, that helped a lot. However, it got to a point where, okay, I released, I, I, I've said it a million times, I've described what I remember, but it, it was hurting me too much. So I stopped. Then after a couple of years, I well, after I graduated actually, I, I, I moved from there to New York, Uh, like I said, to start a new life. I ended graduating here in New York and I went back home um, after graduation. I started therapy there. My mom had gone to therapy for her divorce. Thank God, bless her. And I started with that therapist. It took me six months before I started talking about it in therapy, It, it was group therapy. First time I ever heard of something like that. Powerful, powerful kind of therapy. And six months in, he says, okay, Nana, so when are we gonna talk about this? And I'm like, yeah, well, maybe next session, but this problem with my mom and my soon to be ex-husband, blah, 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 blah. And he just took a sweater out of his um, neck that he always had, started to wrap it around and just jumped on me. And he created a, like oh. he opened, he, he connected me with the moment. He, okay. he just jumped on me as if it was, attacking me and I just couldn't breathe. It was horrible, horrible, but it was the only way to get me started on talking about it. And um, so I started working on it there. Uh, I ended up getting a divorce because like I said, you know, this, it was, our marriage just couldn't survive that. It was too much. So I got a divorce and then, but I got better uh, throughout, through my therapy and uh, then over the years it's been just healing in the sense of first being very clear that it wasn't my fault because I went over this a million times did I leave the door open because I went into the apartment went back outside to look for my mail and then came back in and I blamed myself for leaving the door open for years and then why DPD detective here some someone else not the ones on the set told me, he had been watching you for a while. This is not, this was not a robbery who turned into a rape. And that scared the hell out of me, thinking that this person had been watching me and then one day decided to, to do it. It's a very scary, scary thing. So that, you know, I had to deal with that so I didn't feel paranoid that everybody was watching me all the time. But it's it's been a process, you know, it's be- between therapy and just, awareness the act feminine project has helped a lot also
1: tell me about that project <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay so the project very quickly cuz i know we're probably on time but it's about connecting women with their femininity and of course after hearing the story about the rape you can imagine why i was probably disconnected with my feminine but the truth is i wasn't because of just because of the rape I realized that I had been disconnected from my, with, uh, my feminine side basically all my life. I, I've been very masculine energy oriented all my life. My dad was my hero. I wanted to be with him all the time. We, you know, there was no brothers in the family and my, my dad was those fixing cars and doing things. And for me to be with him, uh, it meant that I had sort of to become his boy. So I did that all my life, and um, my mom wasn't the best role model for for feminine side, and I want to clarify this. This is not about nail polish or heels. It is about the energies that we all humans have, the masculine and the feminine, or the yin and the yang, and people call it whatever name you want, but it's just these two polarities that we all have inside. You know about this because we, we do it at at Tony's events and talk about that. (laughs) Yes, Actually at a Tony event was when all of this dawned on me because I got married again, I'm divorcing my second uh, husband after 25 years. And this has a lot to do with it. I was mostly in my masculine, which meant our roles were reversed and I wasn't fulfilled as a woman. So I decided to create the Act Feminine because I see so many women out there and they don't have to be abused to be in this feminism and extreme feminism with social environment, with the economy that it's fully uh, operating on on masculine energy makes us women just become fighters and hunters all the time And, and little time for the feminine, which is what heals us, which is what takes stress out. And this is not said by me that, you know, many experts are talking about this. When we don't go to our feminine side as much or or at least half and half, we get sick. We get stressed beyond what is normal stress and stress that you can handle. We get sick. More women are dying from, from uh, cancer than ever before. Uh, heart disease is the number one uh, cause of death. Two thirds of women two thirds of people with mental illness, uh, Alzheimer's, uh, dementia are women, two thirds. So there are a lot of, and I'm not saying that only this is the cause, but definitely if we don't go to our feminine side, we don't relax. Our cortisol levels don't go down. We need oxytocin for that to happen. The only way to generate oxytocin, estrogen, dopamine, serotonin is when we go to our feminine. Masculine, and this is something that for me was, a—I—I I had no idea that masculine energy generating testosterone in my body all the time with cortisol becomes the time bomb. So that's why I started the project. And obviously being raped was like the last straw for me.
1: The pinnacle of all of it.
2: Right, I was in my masculine energy a lot, and then the rape comes, right when I'm starting a new life, when I'm starting a new marriage, oh, that was that was it for my femininity. <laughs> it was like, okay. So the energy that I feel comfortable in, safe, was my masculine, which I still do and I love.
1: I'm the same way. <laughs> oh, I
2: adore, I adore my masculine energy. And when I talk to women that are very, you know, extreme feminists, I say, you know, it's not about giving up because it really isn't. It's not about giving up rights. It's not about giving up your masculine. It's just about learning how to use another side of you.
1: It's balancing yourself. It's knowing that you don't have to fit into a stereotype, you know, you don't have to paint your nails every day and do your hair and makeup every day in order to be and feel like a woman.
2: Correct. And that is so important because people think of femininity. Or the feminine energy as that and that's why one of my mantras is femininity is not something you wear it's something you feel
1: exactly if I don't feel like brushing my hair I don't
2: (laughs) and that's fine you know that that's fine that doesn't mean that you're not gonna be connecting with people that you're not gonna be creating it has nothing to do with the outside
1: a hundred percent thank you for sharing that I think that's really an important thing for everyone but i think especially for survivors and champions i feel like mm-hmm. the world paints such a vivid picture of what a victim should look like and most of the time that's not accurate so mm-hmm. we get i think at least we get really confused and feel like well, we're not we're not victims or we don't deserve you know happiness or we don't deserve to feel better because well it wasn't that bad But it it is, it is that bad, it's always that bad. It doesn't matter what the situation was. And being able to engage both sides of your energy, I think allows us to be more forgiving of ourselves and more tolerant of our own processes.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. You said something that made me me think uh, even further of this feminine masculine energy for victims specifically. Because when you were describing that, I felt this little, my heart jumped a little bit and I said, okay, no, no, why this just happened in two <laughs> seconds ago. <laughs> um, and it happened because in a way what you're saying is so absolutely spot on. If you're a victim in your mind, at least I felt that way. I can't be happy. I can't enjoy. I can't flow because then what kind of a victim I am nobody's going to feel sorry for me. They're not going to love me. They're not going to, they're going to say, Oh really? You were abused. You, 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 lived it? you don't look like it.
1: Right. right. Oh, if you were a real victim, you'd be crying. You wouldn't talk about it. Oh mm-hmm. well, no, I mean, that's not true. People. Talk or you, about or you it wouldn't be happy. Right. You smile. You're not a victim. If you were really raped or abused, you mm-hmm. wouldn't be smiling or laughing. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's not, it's not fair to victims. It's not fair to paint that picture on them because it deters people from speaking up
2: correct now i'm going to tell to every victim out there the power from within of being happy and feeling joy and and pleasure though i was victimized that is the true power that is the true revenge if you want any kind of revenge my revenge is i am the woman i am today because of what happened and i have no doubt about that Marisa.
1: yes no doubt. yes Zero. i say the same thing mm-hmm. you know i'm not happy about what happened to me it's not like i celebrate it but i celebrate the person i became because mm-hmm. of it mm-hmm yes thank you nana yes
2: (laughs) totally and i say it over and over like not everybody well i don't i very few people know about this um actually compared to the people i know and some people are going to be very surprised but i always say that i i I used to say it with the therapy right the therapy that i did at that time made me into the person that i am today of course they didn't know that i went there because of the rape but it is i mean i am this woman that i am today sharing this being able to teach this being able to help other women because of what happened and like you say happy of course not i i mean it it was years of hell months of hell of of crying and you know i cried enough already it was hell but this heaven that i'm living in and and striving for every day came out of that and i am i'm grateful and blessed
1: thank you so much for being here and thank you so much for all the beautiful advice and words of wisdom and strength that you embody and gave to us and all the survivors and champions out there i am so honored to be your friend and if you need an extra or something in your in your movie hit me up
2: <laughs> oh listen for the feature, we'll need a lot of people and help yes
1: perfect i'm in sign me up
2: awesome <laughs> i'll 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 take your word <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna put that on the paper perfect <laughs>
0: If you enjoyed this podcast, you have to check out www.MarissaFayCohen.com backslash private-coaching. That's www.M-A-R-I-S-S-A-F-A-Y-E-C-O-H-E-N.com backslash private-coaching. Marissa would love to develop a made-for-you healing plan to heal from emotional abuse. She does all the work and you just show up. Stop feeling stuck, alone, and hurt and live a free, confident, and peaceful life. Don't forget to subscribe to the the Healing from Emotional Abuse Podcast and follow us on Facebook at www.facebook.com/marissafcohen and Instagram at marissa.fay.cohen. We'd love to see you there.